You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. All right, I need a little help here. I wonder if you can help me remember. I'm going to show two photos. Hope we got the first one. What do we think? Which one do we think it is? Left or right? Left or right? Who's thinking left here? Okay, we got some people who's thinking right here. Okay, okay. It is truly the right-hand side. Okay, Pikachu does not have a uh, black thing on his tail. Okay, that's the first one. All right, next one, Hope. What do we got? What do we got? Okay. Fruit of the loom. Fruit of the loom. Give it some thought. Give it some thought. Dr. Peters, what do you think? Left. Dr. Peters says left. It is a- he's wrong. It's actually the right-hand one. There is no, cor- no cornucopia in the Fruit of the Loom logo. Okay, we got one more. This is easy. This is easy. All right. What do we think? Cheese it's? Cheese it. Karen, what do you think? What'd you say? The right? Karen is correct. Everybody give it up for Karen. Oh, Kendra's correct. It is cheese it, cheese it, cheese it. Psychologists tell us that we are not as amazing at remembering things as we'd like to think. In fact, we're even prone to making false memories, telling different versions of reality as we imagine them. This has become known as the Mandela effect, and it does not just happen in logos. We even mess up some very famous lines. And so Darth Vader never says, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. The wicked queen in Snow White actually says, magic mirror on the wall, not mirror mirror on the wall. And Mr. Rogers' theme song does not start with, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's actually a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Yeah, I know, I'm... uh, mm, mm. Anyways, the goal is not to have existential crises, but the Mandela effect reminds me that things are not as easy as they seem. Things are not as easy as they seem. We cannot just assume a straightforward, surface-level worldview that takes things for granted, because the world is a complicated place, and it takes a lot of skill to navigate. And this is the kind of world that James wants us to help us live in. In the New Testament, we find James, this leader of one of the first churches, and he's writing a letter to people scattered around the Mediterranean world. And and these people are facing persecution and challenges because of their faith in Jesus. But unlike other New Testament writers, unlike Paul or Peter, James writes a different kind of letter. Sometimes, in fact, scholars classify James as wisdom literature. And the wisdom genre appears elsewhere in the Bible, but it's mostly in the Old Testament. We consider books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job to be wisdom books as well. So let's pause for a moment. Let's talk about wisdom. Because wisdom is a very important biblical concept, but it's easily confused. Because sometimes we treat wisdom and intelligence as the same thing. Uh, If you've walked into the library, I hope you've walked into the library, you've likely seen uh, this verse on the cornerstone. Have you seen this? Okay, please tell me you've seen this. All right, it says, from knowledge to understanding to wisdom. Knowledge to understanding to wisdom. It's quoting a proverb, and you can see, right, that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And there's also a progression, right, where each one of them builds on the next thing. 
And so wisdom is not just knowing the right things, not just thinking the right things, not just believing the right things. Wisdom is about practically living out what you believe. If knowledge is the book smarts, then wisdom is the street smarts. James is part of this tradition that wants us to not only know and believe, but to use that knowledge for the sake of good and wise living. And that's where we find ourselves in James 1 when he opens his discussion of wisdom. James says, look at me on verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Dr. Ribbons reminded us last week that James is setting up a common device in wisdom literature. There are, there are two paths, and the author is encouraging us to walk into the path of wisdom, the path that brings us life. And we walk down the other path, we find the opposite to wisdom, what the Bible calls foolishness or folly. How tempting it is, right, to, to walk down the path of folly. And you might find that instead of making decisions that guide you into a good life, Your practices are, inadvertently or not, somehow pulling you down a life of deeper struggle and brokenness. And so James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, James is talking to all of us, because all of us lack wisdom. I imagine that each of you has some part of your life that you wish you could navigate better. And growing in wisdom is not always a black and white process. Because very rarely are things straightforward. The decisions we need to make, the habits we need to cultivate, the choices we need to evaluate. We need wisdom to discern the answers to a lot of our big questions. What kind of job do I want after college? Should I change my major? How do I steward my money? How do I become a better friend, a better family member, a better teammate, a better roommate? We lack wisdom. And when we find ourselves in the gray areas of life, the uncertain, the cloudy seasons, James calls us to ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Where do you turn for wisdom? Let's listen to James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should listen to a podcast, turn on the TikTok preacher, Rub your crystal necklace. When we need wisdom, we don't turn to self-help books or inspirational worship music. Those things can help us learn about wisdom, but true wisdom flows from God's generosity. It's amazing, isn't it, that God wants to be our first source of wisdom. We ask of a God who gives to all. Wisdom is not just for the privileged. It's not just for a certain kind of person. It's not only for kings like Solomon. Nor is wisdom just for the people who spend all their time and money to study theology. No, James assures us that you don't need to have everything figured out in order to be wise. You don't need to be spiritually put together to receive wisdom. Rather than hoarding wisdom, God gives us wisdom generously, whether or not we deserve it. And God gives us wisdom without finding fault. Another translation says that God does not mock or reproach as he gives wisdom. There's no shame in turning to God in prayer and asking for wisdom. And sometimes we feel embarrassed to talk to God. 
Maybe there's something that you feel that you can't ask God about. We can't ask God about our politics, about our sexuality, about our suffering. Or maybe you feel like what you have to bring God is too insignificant. Maybe God's too busy to handle my little problems. You know, we fear that we're not good enough, that our prayers are not strong enough for God to answer us. And yet, God promises wisdom, the ability to know how he wants us to live. God truly wants us to live well in a complex world, and so he lavishes us with wisdom from above. And it doesn't necessarily mean, though, that we'll get everything we ask for, because God is not some sort of cosmic Santa where we just, you know, write our prayers on a wish list, send them up, sit back, wait for God to fulfill them while we're sleeping. James isn't saying that by receiving wisdom, we'll know exactly how God wants to answer our prayers, because if that were the case, then we would just, you know, direct our prayer toward that, and that defeats the purpose of wisdom. Wisdom is not about having the right answers. Wisdom means that God will give us practical understandings to endure and navigate the challenges we face. And there is no way to cheat for wisdom. It's not like wisdom is the answer that you find on Quizlet during a Brightspace exam. It is tempting to ask for wisdom. Some of you just got that one just now. <laughs> it's tempting to ask for wisdom as a shortcut, as a way to sort of short-circuit the parts of life that I don't want to deal with. But wisdom is so much bigger than getting the answer key to life. Rather than pretending that we know God's will in the situations that confuse us, James teaches us to be sure of whom we are trusting as our source of wisdom. I like how the New Living Translation translates verse 6. It says, but when you ask him, that being God, be sure that you really expect him to answer. Jesus, the embodiment of God's wisdom who reigns in heaven and intercedes on our behalf, truly meets us when we call to God in prayer. So be sure that you really expect him to answer. One of my mentors uh, reminds me that prayer is not the same as magic. <clears throat> you know, we often treat prayer like it's a magic spell. You just say the right words and we'll get the right things. That is not how prayer works. Prayer at its core is how we communicate with God and how God communicates with us. In my ministry 203 class last week, we were talking about how prayer is a conversation. And in conversations, you're not primarily going in there trying to figure everything out. Conversations are not about getting the answer key. It's more about engaging deeper in a relationship with the one you're talking to. It's about bringing your full self to the table and expecting to leave differently. And so prayer is meant more to change us than our circumstances. So when you pray and ask God for wisdom, why are you doing it? Are you just throwing up some blind hope that maybe something will come down? Are you casting your magic spell to feel bigger, better, smarter than others? Or do you truly expect God to meet you and draw you nearer to the wisest next steps he might want you to take? You know, in college, you can gain knowledge with relative ease. In fact, much of what you're paying for uh, in your classes, is building a body of knowledge, right? Learning more about the discipline that God is calling you toward. And knowledge is necessary, but it's not the same as wisdom. The decisions that life calls us to make are bigger than knowing the difference between two logos. 
Wisdom is harder to pin down, both in how we understand it and how we practice it. But we find hope in James' promise that when we ask for wisdom, it will be given to us. God never fails to give us all that we need for faithful living. Remember how we talked a few weeks ago about how God blesses us with gifts that we need to flourish? Wisdom is one of those blessings. And yes, to be sure, everything we need is not everything we want. But the point of wisdom is not to be smarter and omniscient. Wisdom is meant to draw us closer to God, to keep us in step with the Spirit as we move through life. So in the face of a confusing, complicated, and scary world, in the face of week five of the semester when things are really starting to get real, when we don't know what we're doing or where we're going, God says, ask me and I'll give you wisdom. God invites us into this kind of a life, a life of wisdom. Wisdom is available for you and me, whoever you are, no matter your age, your degrees, your life experiences, and whoever you are. And we're not alone in this journey. God sends his spirit of wisdom to guide us, comfort us, and challenge us as we put our faith into practice. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.